How many of you suffer from decidophobia? Ever heard of that? It's actually a, a phrase, a word. It was coined in 1973 by Princeton University professor Walter Kaufman. And it means the fear of making decisions, decidophobia. Uh, we probably all face that to some degree, right? You're faced with something and you don't know what decision to make. Uh, you don't know which way to go. Uh, it could be something big, could be something small, but we have decisions that we make every day, right? I mean, you know, it could, you think about the fact that we have, uh, most of us, if you have any TV service at all, you've got hundreds of channels to choose from, yet how many times do you flip through the guide and you still can't decide on anything to watch? Now, it's probably because there's nothing worth watching on, but you've got all those choices. We've got more and more choices. How about this? Many of us are going to go eat after this, go to your favorite restaurant. Uh, could be somewhere like Cracker Barrel, could be somewhere like Outback. How many of you struggle with that novel they call a menu and making a choice from all the different choices, right? We have more and more choices, more and more things to choose from. Hey, just walk into a fast food restaurant and the menu, I mean, uh, on the wall. It's so, we have so many choices, yet we have such a hard time making decisions. Could be decidophobia, or it could just be decidophobia fatigue, right? We're tired of making decisions. We're faced with decisions every day. Matter of fact, Columbia University researcher Sheena Iyengar found that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every day. I think that's probably a low estimate, but that's what they found. But think about how this adds up. That is 25,550 decisions a year and if you live to be 70 years old, that's 1,788,500 decisions you'll make in your lifetime. And those are, are significant decisions, uh, millions of decisions that we make, um, and thousands of decisions that we make, and just inconsequential decisions. How many do we make in a day? French philosopher Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices, and that's true. The things that we choose, the things we choose to do, the things we choose not to do are what ends up shaping our lives, the paths that we choose to take, the doors that we choose to walk through. And that's really what decisions are, right? They're open doors. The choice is whether or not we walk through the door or not. And part of, the, of determining what doors to walk through is determining who opened those doors and whether or not we should walk through those doors. And that's really what we're talking about today, the open doors, but not doors that you or I would open, doors that, that Christ opens for us, and whether or not we should walk through those, how we know uh, what those are, and to walk through, and what will happen if we do walk through them, and what will happen if we don't walk through them. We're going to continue our series. We've got this week and one more. Uh, Jesus 7, Jesus' message to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. We've been walking through them one at a time, and we've got this week and one more. In this series, we've discovered a lot. We've discovered that it's important to know who we are and what we are to do. Uh, we need to know who we are and what we are to do as the people of God. That's the main purpose of this series, and that is vitally important. And the reason that that is vitally important is that if we don't know who we are, then we're not going to know what we're to do, and we're going to try anything and everything to be effective, that, which is going to result in confusion. Uh, 
And what we find in these letters is, yes, they were, these were actual churches that existed in John's day, but they are representative of every church in every age. We can identify, every church, I think, can identify on some level uh, with these churches, some more than others, but they're a message to us to what, as to what to be about, what Christ wants his church to be, and just as important, what he doesn't want us to be about. And we learn from these, these, this, this message, these messages that he gives to the churches. Think about the word challenge. That's an interesting word, challenge. It's an opportunity uh, that's presented to individuals, to us. I, if, if I have a challenge, that means I've got an opportunity to do something. The question is, can I do it, and will I take advantage of that opportunity? Some opportunities we take and should take. Some opportunities we don't take. Some we don't take and we should. Some we don't take and we shouldn't, and that's, that's okay. We're presented with a lot of opportunities in life, and we shouldn't take every opportunity just because we're presented with that opportunity. Some are temptations that we know are going to result in pain, tragedy, heartbreak. Uh, we need to let those just pass by. We need to walk right by those open doors. We don't need to walk through those. Sometimes we do when we suffer the consequences. Some, though, should be seized. Opportunities that don't come around every day. Things that we know God is presenting with us. Challenges, opportunities he's presenting us with that we should walk through those doors. We should walk through because it's a part of his plan and it's a good plan. And it's something he wants to do in and through us. Those are the opportunities that we should, we should grab, that we should seize. Jesus, when we look in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, we see that Jesus is giving the church at Philadelphia an opportunity. There's an open door in front of them. It is a challenge. If you read this letter to the church, <clears throat> challenge is embedded in this letter. You can see it. It is evident. It's obvious. It's like one of those pictures that I never could see. I don't know. There's probably a visual reason for that. Uh, but I, those pictures that you would stare at, and eventually the image would come out, right? Uh, th this letter's kind of that way. The more you look at it, the more you let it saturate your mind, you see the, the opportunity. It's not, it's not out front as to you know, exactly what it is, um, but once you dive into the letter, you see the open door. God mentions, Jesus mentions the open door, and you see when you understand the context of where this is and what's going on in this city, you see the incredible opportunity that they have. And what I love about this letter is that we here in Madison, Alabama, can identify with this church in an incredible way simply because of where they are and what's going on in this city. And so we see in this letter a challenge, an opportunity. Like those pictures I just mentioned, if you look at this, if you study this, you'll eventually have that aha moment. Yeah, I see. I see what you're trying to say, Lord. And so let's look at this. Let's read through this letter together, beginning in verse 13. Revelation chapter 3, verses 13, all the way through verse, or excuse me, verse 7, all the way through verse 13. I was trying to start us on next week, I guess. Starting in verse 7. The letter to the church at Philadelphia. Write the angel to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. The Holy One, the True One, the one who has the key of David, who opens the door he opens, no one will close, and closes, no one opens, says this, I know your works. Because you have limited strength, you have kept my word. 
and have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. So there's an opportunity, an open door. And this church is, is not the biggest church. It's not a huge church. It's weak in a lot of ways, but it's strong in the most important ways, Jesus is saying. Verse 9, take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Note this, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that, you, so that no one takes your crown. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So this little background, as we've done with all these these letters, these cities that they're written in, some important information. The city of Philadelphia was one of the youngest cities mentioned in these letters, that these letters are addressed to. It was located uh, in an area that was known for its agricultural products, but also it was known for earthquakes. A lot of this, 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 city, this city had been destroyed a couple of times by earthquakes. Matter of fact, if you were to go to this city, most of the people living in it lived on the outskirts of town because they were afraid of buildings falling on them. They, they wouldn't have lived really in the heart of the city. They would do business there, but you know, they, they weren't going to live. They were going to live in the outskirts. So you can imagine living in this type of city. City. It's been destroyed a few times. That's going to take its toll on the city in terms of population and that sort of thing over time. It's not going to be the largest city, which it's not. Uh, people there are going to be weary of that sort of thing. And so this city was known for those things, agriculture and earthquakes. It was named for the king of Pergamos and was settled by the people, by people from Pergamos. The king's name was Italus, but his nickname was Philadelphos, which is where they get the name Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. That's right. We have one of our own in the United States, right? And that's exactly what this means. The nickname meant uh, one who loves his brother. And so that's where we get this from. And this, this kind of gives you a picture of the city. Jesus highly commends this church. So we've got two churches of these seven that have a commendation with no rebuke, and Philadelphia is one of them. Remember, Smyrna was the other. Philadelphia is, is, is the other one that has commendation. Jesus is praising them, presenting them with a challenge, but there's no rebuke in this letter. So things are going well in Philadelphia in terms of, of the church. Um, Smyrna and Philadelphia, both commendation. No inter- internal problems in the church at Philadelphia. It was known for two things the city was. It was established again by the king of Pergamos to be a military city to protect Pergamos. And so a lot of soldiers in and around this city, you can imagine. The second thing was it was established to be a missionary city. A missionary of Greek, they were to be missionaries of Greek culture. They had people, again, soldiers coming from all around, people coming from all around, and, and the people in this city were to, to spread, to evangelize the world uh, in terms of Greek culture. That was, that was what it was set up for. It was to teach the world the Greek way of life. 
And so they had people, you know, Greek philosophy, thought, architecture, and that's all in this city. And, and that's, if you were to live here, the idea is that you would be absorbed in that because you would get it from every angle. You could go to Philadelphia and experience everything Greek. People would come in, they would absorb all of that Greek culture, then they would leave and take that culture back to their hometown. So there was, there was intent here. I mean, there was a, there was a philosophy here. And as we'll see, this is where the opportunity stems from. And as you've already may have connected the dots, this is where some of the similarities to where we live come in. I mean, how many people from how many different parts of our country are moving to Madison, Alabama? And, and these folks had the opportunity to do something incredible for the kingdom of God, and I believe we do too. There's an opportunity in front of us. And so let's look at that. First, the opportunities from God. We see that in this letter. There are opportunities presented to these people, this church, and this city from God. And, and first, we, in order to see that, we, we look at the commendations. Again, one of two letters that has no rebuke. There's commendations to the people for their good works from Christ. And, and that's the first commendation, really, is that they are performing good works. They're doing good things for the kingdom of God. They were giving themselves to advance the cause of Christ. They were ministering well. God was, was receiving glory for what they were doing. A church cannot accomplish anything good without Christ enabling them to do so. This church understood that, and they were doing it. And that's one of the, the great things about serving the Lord. He calls us to do things, but then he equips us and empowers us to do those things. So we don't have to do them in our own strength. But another great part about that is, yes, God gets the glory, but he allows us to share in that, to experience the joys of doing his work. He gives us the privilege of, and then he commends us for it, right? As if we deserved anything. That's what he's doing to this church. He, he's saying, you guys are doing incredible works. Well, he's the one empowering them to do it, giving them the ability, but then he's also commending them for it. That's grace, right? We don't deserve that. We don't deserve commendation for doing good works because we wouldn't do anything good if it, if it weren't for the power of God living in and through us. But that is just the grace of God. He also commends them for, them, for their obedience to the Word. They were obeying the Word of God. I mean, primarily the Old Testament, but the teachings of the apostles as well, they're obeying the Word of God. And even if you just look at the Old Testament, it's all summed up. Jesus summed up the law when asked the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so it, it, regardless of, of specific commandments, we know that if he says they're obeying the word, that they are doing those things. You go in, which is fitting for the city of brotherly love, right? They love God and they love their brothers and sisters. They love others. And so that's evident. So Jesus commends them for the fact that they are obeying the word of God. They're doing good works and they're loving God and loving each other. They're doing good things. He commends them for that. Jesus added perseverance to the list of commendations. He said in, in, in verses 8 and 10, in the face of great trial, you've endured uh, trouble, struggle. You've persevered. That's paraphrased, of course, but that's what he's saying. Like many of the other Christians in many of the other cities in this day, they are persecuted because of what they believe. Uh, very similar to, to other examples, like the church in Smyrna. They, they had been excluded from doing business because of their faith. 
Business was wrapped up in idol worship, in religion. And if you didn't participate in a specific religion, you didn't get to do business with the other people in the city. And that's what these Christians are facing. They are being persecuted for their faith. They're not allowed to do business. So they're not allowed to work to take care of their families. Yet Jesus is saying, even with that, you're persevering. You're continuing on in your faith. And they are pleasing God. They are living in difficult days, yet they persevered. And Jesus commended them for it. And there's an important lesson here. What really matters in life is not our influence over humanity. It is our faithfulness before God. I mean, yes, we need to have influence over men, which these Christians were called to do. We're called to do. And that's important. But more important than anything is whether or not we're faithful to God. More important than anything in life is his opinion of us, not others. And even if we have to suffer in life to do what he calls us to do, to walk through the doors that he opens, we've got to be willing to do that. And this church was, and Jesus is commending them for their endurance. Here's the thing. This letter is not not about a crisis, though. I mean, yeah, they're they're suffering. I mean, they're, they're being persecuted. But this letter is not about persecution. This letter is about a challenge. This letter is about an open door. God, yes, they are, they, are, they are suffering, they are having a difficult time, but God is telling them, I'm giving you a, a tremendous opportunity here, a wide open door for ministry. Look again at verse 8. I know your works, because you have limited strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Look, I'm, because of that, I am placing before you an open door that no one is able to close. So Jesus is giving them an open door. And as I've said before, there are some doors that we need to walk through, and there are some doors that we need to close. Now, I'm always finding goofy stories online. It's just, you know, you can find a good illustration every now and then. And, and there are some strange stories. And one I found a while back, a guy in uh, Miami decided he was going to go around in a, a, a Ford car that, that looked like an unmarked police car. You know, they're, they're, newer ones don't, but, but this was a few years back, and, and it, was, it was like a, a Ford LTD or something like that, Crown Victoria. You know, it, it looked like an unmarked police car. Well, somewhere he got his hands on a blue light, and he just decided he was going to play cop. So he rode around Miami, and evidently he had done this several times before. He rode around Miami. He just pulled people over, and I guess he had some fake tickets. He would write people tickets. And he, he got his kicks on a Friday night. He would go out, and he would pull people over, which is all well and good, except one night he pulled over what he didn't know was an off-duty detective. So he pulls this guy over. He's impersonating a cop and then realizes, the, the detective realizes this guy's not a real police officer, and he busts him for it. And he tells the officer that you know, he does this all the time. Uh, so this is, this is what he does. That's what he does for fun. I just have to wonder, though, did he get himself a real lawyer when he stood before the judge, or did he get a fake one to impersonate? I'm betting he got a real one, right? But, you know, there's some things, just, it just goes to show you, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, right? We've got, we've got a lot of opportunities in life. We've got a lot of things that we can do. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Not every open door is one that we need to go through. There are a lot of open doors in life. There are a lot of opportunities individually as a family that we face. A lot of opportunities as a church that we have. We don't necessarily need to go through those doors. So we have to ask who's opening the door. Who's giving us the opportunity before we walk through. Not every open door is a door that Jesus 
has opened. But here is a church, the church at Philadelphia, and Jesus is saying, hey, I've opened this door wide for you, and it is me that's opening it. What does that mean, an open door? Well, you know, Paul uses this phrase a few times. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he uses the phrase, and he says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened a door for me. Kind of seeing a theme here, right? In Colossians 4.3, he wrote, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. It's a door of ministry. And that takes different forms, right? But one thing we know is that if Jesus is opening the door, there's an opportunity to advance the gospel, to advance his kingdom, to do something that will bring him honor and glory. So this concept of an open door is the idea of a challenge or an opportunity. And Jesus is writing to the church in verse 8. He says, I've opened a door before you. I'm standing there holding this door wide open. So what's the open door for them? Remember, this, this city was the gateway to the east. This was set up as a city to basically uh, make Greek civilization known to the world. All right, so indoctrinate the world in the Greek way of life. And it was working. People were coming into the city. They were being enveloped in this Greek culture. They were going home. They were taking what they had learned to their hometown. So what do you think the open door is? It's obvious They are Christians in this city. They're a small church. They're not very strong in terms of numbers, but they're strong in their faith. They're strong in their beliefs. They've endured hardships. And Jesus is saying, I've put you in this time, in this place to share the gospel, and I'm going to bring the world to you. It doesn't matter if you're big or not. I'm bringing the world to your doorstep. Now think about where we live. Think about all of the houses that are being built around here. Think about all of the people that are moving into this area. Can we identify with the church at Philadelphia, possibly? Could it be that God has placed us in this time and this place to share the gospel with the world without even having to leave our backyard? I believe so. I believe that's one of the purposes that God has given us, one of the opportunities. I believe we have the same door open in front of us that Philadelphia had For them, Jesus is opening the door for them. And he's saying, listen, I'm giving you this opportunity. And we have a similar opportunity. The ministries that we have here at this church, we we can invite the world in and go to where they are and share the gospel and share our love through the different opportunities that God has given us. Jesus is standing there holding the door. We're called to build a bridge between Jesus and our culture. And we want the world to change. We're unhappy with politics. We're unhappy with the state of our country. If we want to change the world, it starts with us changing people's lives, uh, being that bridge between the culture and a Savior that they desperately need. Jesus says, here you go, walk through. The question is, will we? The opportunities of God. We don't need to be afraid of those opportunities because of the next truth, and that's that we have the protection of God. Again, think about the church at Philadelphia. They, you know, they, they had a couple of obstacles here. One was their own lack of strength. They're a small church, not a big church, not a big city in comparison. Um, they weren't large, but they were strong. They were strong in their faith, strong in their walk with Christ. Apparently, they had, 
They were true to God's word, and they had endured some pretty tough stuff. I mean, again, they, they couldn't make a living, so they were somehow surviving. So these are pretty tough individuals. But they're staying faithful in the midst of difficulty. And here's the truth to take with us. It's not the size or the strength of a church that, that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, big or small in numbers, it's the faith and the determination, the faithfulness of that church. Do we believe truly that God will equip us to do what he's called us to do? regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the size of the task that he's put in front of us. And what we need to understand, not original to me, but I love this, God's commands are also God's enablements. If he calls you, he will equip you. If he calls me, he will equip me. Yeah, I could sit down right now and write a 10-page paper on what disqualifies me to do what I'm doing right now, to be a pastor, to preach, to teach, to be a father, whatever. I am disqualified because I'm an imperfect human being. But it's not my qualifications that enable me or determine whether or not I get to serve God. He takes me as I am with all my imperfections, and as long as I will submit to him, as long as I will surrender to him, he will make me what he wants me to be. You know, it's not a free ticket to do whatever we want. I'm not qualified, so I can go sin and do whatever I want, and God will still use me. No, I have to submit. It's a a process of being transformed. But that's the beauty is that I don't have to do the transforming. He takes us, and he molds us, and he shapes us. And it doesn't matter our numbers. It doesn't matter where we are location-wise. It really doesn't even matter where you are on your spiritual journey, whether at the beginning or towards the end. God can still use you. Yes, you need to grow and you need to develop, but God can use you, and he wants to use you. And he's telling this church, yeah, you guys are small. You're not great in size, but you're great in faith. And you're willing to answer the call. You've been faithful, and you've seen how I've worked in your lives. And I'm going to continue. Because you've been faithful, I'm going to give you an even greater task, more influence, greater opportunity to share the gospel. This is the opportunity. They are small. That's one of their obstacles. But God's saying, I'm opening this door and you can walk through it. The second obstacle was the opposition of the Jews in the city. Verse 9 talks about these folks who claim to be Jews, but they're really not. These, these folks that are persecuting them. The bottom line is that this was the opposition of Satan. Anytime we begin a work for God, you can better believe we're going to come under attack by Satan individually in our families, and in our church. And one of, the, one of the signs that you're doing something right is that you're under attack. And that may not be comforting, but it's, the, it's reality. I mean, Satan wouldn't waste time on us if we were just asleep like the church at Sardis. We're, we're defeating ourselves. But if we're active, if we're advancing the kingdom, Satan is going to try to stop that. And, and so that's what's happening here. Folks that are claiming to be Jews who are actually instruments of Satan being used to attack these believers in Philadelphia. But again, Jesus has defeated Satan. And if he called them, he's saying, I will protect you. I'm opening this door, and guess what? If I'm opening it, nobody will close it until I say it's closed. God's giving them the opportunity. We have opposition. We have hindrances. You know, one of the greatest oppositions in the church is just manpower, right? (laughs) having teachers, having volunteers uh, for different ministries. 
And now one of our greatest obstacles post-pandemic is going to be convincing people to come back to church. I mean, that's, that's going to be one of our greatest hindrances. One of the greatest attacks, I believe, on the family is going to be convincing people, hey, you don't need to actually be here to do church. And there's going to come a time, we're not quite there yet, but there's going to come a time where it's time to come back. We need the fellowship, and we need each other to work together, iron sharpening iron. And, and even in the best of times, the church is always in need of manpower, right? Human resources, for lack of a better word. It seems like we're always looking for a teacher, always looking for a youth volunteer, always looking for someone to work in the children's or whatever. I mean, you know, there, there, there are needs for people to step up and take the task that God has given them, even if it's outside of your comfort zone. Just be willing to be used by God. There are obstacles that we face every day, but God is stronger. He's bigger than our obstacles. The enemy's going to try to defeat us, but we know who wrote this letter. Look at verse 7 again. The Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one opens. Who wrote it? The Lord Jesus Himself, the only Lord Jesus, the only true Savior. And you may be thinking, I don't have the strength. I'm tired. Today, this is a year from the last time we met together before the shutdown last year. How many of you are a little weary today from, from this? I mean, you know, we're starting to see maybe the light at the end of the tunnel, but I've, I've stopped getting my hopes up, haven't you? And just when I get my hopes up, something else happens. That's not a great way to look at life, but in terms of this pandemic, I've just learned to expect the unexpected, and it's, it's tiring. I mean, it's exhausting after a while. And we've had a, a year of that. You know, what we thought was going to be two weeks. I remember I looked back just this week at the, the letter I wrote to you guys online that said, hey, for the next two weeks, we're going to play it safe. And then, sure enough, it was two months before we saw each other again. Longer than that for some of us. Uh, that, that's the way it's been. And, and, and you may be sitting there today going, you know, what? I just don't have strength to start anything new. And I'm sure these folks in Philadelphia were going, you know what, I'm exhausted. I'm, I, want to, I just want to go to the store and buy some groceries for my kids, go to, go to work and earn a living for my family. But they couldn't. They were tired. I'm sure they were tired. But Jesus says, I'll give you the strength. And, and we've got to be willing to accept the challenge of faithfulness. And that's the challenge before them, the challenge to be faithful. The church today is like the church at Philadelphia. God has set before us open doors of opportunities, and I'm afraid many times we've just walked right past them. But if he opened, and that, that's, that, that's the reality, if he opens the doors, we must work. If he shuts the doors, we, we need to wait. Above all, we must be faithful to him and see the opportunities, not the obstacles. So easy to focus on the obstacles. So easy to get discouraged, to let exhaustion or whatever influence us into not walking through the door that God has opened. But we've got to focus on Jesus. We've got to focus on the opportunities. It's so much harder to focus on the positive than it is the negative, but man, it's such a better place to live. There's so much more contentment there. There's so much more joy there if we can focus on the opportunities instead of the obstacles. Not that we're ignorant of the obstacles. We need to be aware, right? Be on the alert, be on guard, ready for Satan's attacks, but press forward in faith, advancing the gospel. 1 John 2, 8 
So now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed at his coming. If we take advantage of the opportunities instead of being scared off by the obstacles, then we will not have to be ashamed when we stand before the Lord Jesus. Whereas if we cower down and refuse to be faithful, we will be ashamed at his appearing. And he tells us to hold on. In verse 11, he says, hold on. A few years back, I guess it's been several years, uh, we were uh, refinishing a a, a room in the basement of my father-in-law's house. Timmy and I were working on it, and we were standing on this small scaffolding, this bench. He he knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. I don't even have to say it. Um, But uh, he was standing on this bench. It was a metal bench that folded, and evidently the legs weren't locked into place. We We were hanging a drop ceiling, an acoustic ceiling, and he was on one end, on one bench, and I was across the room. And all of a sudden, the bench gave way, and Timmy just grabbed a hold of the bar, and he's dangling there. I mean, just hanging. And I'm across the room, Rick's across the room, and all I could say was, hold on. <laughs> and he did. Timmy's always been a good dangler. <laughs> when he was little, we were on the playground, and he slipped through one of those little rocking things. And he was just hanging there, just as content as could be, his little legs just dangling. But that was Timmy, a little bit bigger, a lot bigger at that time, not as big as he is now, growing a foot. But um, he, he was just hanging there. And I, I just, hold on, Timmy, I'll be there in a minute. And he was hanging on for dear life. That's the initial impression I get when I read this verse, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying hang on for dear life. It's not the idea of panic. What he's saying is continue on and take advantage of the opportunity. You know, hold on to the promise. Grab a halt is another way to say of this opportunity. Seize, carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the opportunity. That's, that's the message here. It's not hang on for dear life. It's grab a hold of this opportunity. Seize the day because it may not be here forever. You know, God opens doors and if we continue to refuse to walk through, guess what? He'll close that door and open it for another church. You know, my mom, when I was growing up, she trained me to hold doors, especially for ladies. We've taught, I've taught my boys the same thing. Um, they, whether they like it or not, they hold the doors for their sisters. It's just something you learn. You know, I, I think that's important. It's respectful. But, you know, there have been times where I've opened a door, going into a store or something, and I'm, I'm standing there, and then I realize, hey, they're not coming in the store. I'm just standing there holding the door. Now, am I going to stay there and hold that door forever just for the sake of holding it, or am I going to close it and go on in? Eventually, I'm going to close the door, right? I mean, you know, there's no point. I, I wonder how many times Jesus has done that in my life. He's opened a door. I refuse to walk in, and he says, okay, I'll open it for somebody else. How many times do you think he may have done that in the life of this church? Hey, I've opened a door, and we refuse to walk through. And then he says, okay, I'll just let another church walk through the door. I told you last week, I think this is a great church. It's a, it's a healthy church. There's a lot of great things here. We've got a huge opportunity in front of us. God's opening a door. But we have to make the decision. Are we going to walk through it? Because he's not going to hold it open forever. We need to seize. That's what he's saying to this church. Philadelphia, I've got this door open for you. Seize the day because it won't, the opportunity won't be around forever. Seize the day. That's what they need to do. That's what we need to do. In the kingdom of God, when we walk through, here's what we find. When we walk through one open door, guess what? God opens another that leads to another step of faith, but leads to a greater impact for the kingdom of God, leads to more growth individually, corporately, 
Not, not just numbers. Remember, this is a small church. We're talking about kingdom impact here. Now, I want to see this room full and then some, right? I want to see us get to the point to where this room's full and the room we're remodeling underneath is full. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand, but this is not about no, growth in numbers. This is about spiritual growth and taking advantage of the opportunities God gives us so that we can depend on him more, grow through those experiences, and then he can give us greater responsibility, greater influence for his kingdom. That's what he wants for the church at Philadelphia, and that's what he wants for us. What we see, though, is that when we choose to do this, we can have assurance that when we choose to walk through the door, we, we already have the victory in Christ. Yeah, there's going to be greater steps of faith ahead. There's going to be greater challenges. With opportunity comes challenge. But we have the victory in Jesus Christ. I mean, he's telling them, you're secure. You can do this. You've got this because I've got you. And he's telling us the same thing. He has us. It was true for them. They had a promise that Jesus would keep them from the tribulation. I mean, immediately this probably would have been, you know, the coming, uh, the coming attack, persecution from Rome. Uh, also, could be the time of tribulation coming. That's the immediate thought that I have, that he's saying, I'm going to rescue you, church, from the tribulation, specifically this church. Not going to get into a discussion of, of pre-trib versus post-trib this morning, but I, I believe that's a direct application for this church. But either way, he's saying, I'm going to protect you. Even if you have to go through tribulation, if you have to go through persecution, ultimately you're safe. You're secure in my hands. Nothing can take you away from me, and nothing can take away the salvation that I've given you. That's what God's saying. He's also saying that he would honor them. Look at verse 12. The victor. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. The symbol in this, the symbolism in this verse is it would, it would be especially meaningful to them. Remember, one of the characteristics of this city is they had a lot of earthquakes. So they probably didn't look at any structure as being incredibly stable. That's why they lived on the outskirts of the city. So, so hearing God talk about this pillar uh, that, that, that no one can, can destroy, that, that would have rung true for them. Living in a city where you never know when the ground's going to be shaking or not, having a firm foundation sounds pretty nice. And what he's telling them is that I'm giving you a foundation. I'm a pillar that no one can destroy. And I'm going to keep you. I'm going to protect you. A heavenly city that cannot be destroyed. That's your destiny. Even if this life takes everything you have, including your life, they can't have your soul because I, I, I've got you. I've saved you. You're secure in my hands. The pillar is a symbol of strength. And Jesus is telling them, you may be weak, but I'm strong. He says, I will make, I will make. Jesus is telling them the door is open. He's telling us the door is open. If you walk through this door, I will make you strong. I will give you what you need. I will equip you. I will empower you and I will protect you. I will hold on to you. But the question still remains, Will they walk through the door? Carpe diem, will you seize the day? That's the question. That requires something of us. It requires that we submit. It requires that we believe. The problem is, a lot of us are like this rock. Many of us harden our hearts. And 
I brought a little golf ball tube with me. I want to show you what I'm talking about here. A lot of us, this is God's plan, right? It seems impossible, right? A lot of us are like this rock. Our hearts are hardened, and there's no way this rock's going inside this golf ball tube, right? I mean, it's just impossible. And that's where some of us are. I mean, you know, we know God's giving us opportunities, but we just can't see a way. And it's because of our unbelief, it's because of our lack of faith, because of our unwillingness to allow God to shape us into his plan, to fit us into his plan. Maybe we think we've got a better way, or maybe we're exhausted, or maybe, you know, we we just don't see the logic behind what God is calling us to do. All of that equals a hard heart, and your heart is it's just as hard as a rock, and, and nothing's going to change that. What we need to be is like this sponge. Now, this was a complete sponge. Pluto the Wonder Dog got a hold of it last night, which, you know, I, I had another one. I thought about using it, but this kind of this is a good representation of how many of us feel right now, right? We've been chewed up a little bit, so it fits. But, but this still, when you're looking at this, it doesn't really seem like it's going to fit. So some things have to, to change, right? I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be bendable. If you're going to fit into God's plan, if you're going to walk through the doors that he opens, then you've got to be moldable. And if we are, eventually, we will fit into his plan. Now, it's tough, and, and this is not necessarily an easy task, getting this whole thing in here. And it takes time sometimes, right? You walk through the door, and there's, you, know, you may trip going through. You know, we've all done that. We fall on our faces, and, and, and we have to allow the Lord to pick us up and repent. But it's, it's a constant willingness to be humble, to be submissive, to allow God to shape us, to allow God to push us, to allow God to keep us moving forward. But if we keep doing that, eventually, as stubborn as we may be, we'll fit in there, and we're perfectly inside the will of God. But the difference between this and this is a willingness to be shaped. I can shape the sponge. I can't shape the rock. So the question is, which are you? Which am I? God says, I'm opening a door right here for you. I'm giving you an opportunity. Will you take advantage of it? About 20, almost 21 years ago, I met someone that I really wanted to get to know. I had a pretty, pretty large obstacle. Her dad was my boss. Mandy's dad became the pastor of the church that I grew up in, the church I was on staff with. We met. Our moms picked us out for each other. Her dad was saying, don't do it. He's going to be a preacher. <laughs> Plus, he just, like me, didn't want to give his daughter to anybody. But, I, and, but we met, and we, we just kind of hit it off immediately. You know, we just, I remember the first time we talked, and you know, it was just kind of one of those things. And so an opportunity arose. I got to ask her to a Christmas party that we were having for the college and career, and I was just as nervous as could be. For one, I thought she'd say no, but number two, her dad was my boss and my preacher. Don't recommend that, guys, especially if you're thinking about my daughter. I don't recommend that. All right? He played the preacher card. I mean, you know, we've got a great relationship, and he's always loved me, but at the time, I didn't think that that was the case. He played the preacher card, and he used it well. But, uh, but I did. I took advantage of the opportunity. I got over my fear. I asked her out, and thankfully, she, she said yes, and here we are, 19 years of marriage, four kids, 
And I just think if I would have been too afraid to take advantage of that opportunity, what I would have missed out on. So glad I did. God gave me that opportunity. I said yes. And there have been opportunities that I've said no to, and I've regretted. God's given me opportunities, and I've said no. We've all experienced that, right? The question is, individually, as a church, God opens the door. Will we walk through? And we've got a great opportunity here. I've never lived in a place quite like this. I've met more people from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, and I've traveled some. But just living here, I've met people from all over. My neighbors, people that I run into all the time, we've got an incredible opportunity, just like the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus is saying, I'm opening the door. Will you walk through? As we contemplate our church, as we contemplate our lives, as we listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our heart, pay attention to the doors that Jesus is opening for you. Pay attention to the door, church, that he's opening for us. He says, here's your chance. I'm giving you an opportunity. Here's what your life can be if you allow me to empower you, if you trust me with everything. I can make the world around you different. He says, I can impact the world. I can do something in and through you that you've never imagined. If only you will trust me. If only you will be moldable. So we have to take hold of it, and we cannot let anyone or anything convince us of not taking advantage of that opportunity. Don't listen to the enemy as he tries to convince you that we're too weak, we're too small, our COVID's been too devastating, or or whatever. Don't let the enemy convince you that this is not possible, that God cannot do the work that he's called us to do. If he calls us, again, this church is small. He's saying, I know you're small, I know you're tired, but I will empower you. It does not matter the obstacles. What matters is what God is calling to. It does not matter our ability. What matters is his ability. Will we take hold? of the opportunities that he gives us. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he whispers in your ear. Listen as he tells you what he wants you to do. As he holds the door open, the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens the door, no one will close, and closes, no one will open, says this, anyone who has an ear to hear, should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's listen right now. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. Direct us. Direct our thoughts right now. Even as we pray, direct our hearts. Reveal to us the direction that you'd have for us whether it's the direction for our lives individually, for our families, for this church. Lord, we are here today because we want to know you and we want to live for you. We want to follow your direction. And it could be that some have come to this place for the first time and they want to know you, but they don't know how. And they need to take the step of inviting you into their lives and accepting the salvation that you offer. And maybe they just need to cry out to you in this time of prayer and and ask you to come into their lives. Surrender to you for the first time. For those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would just 
pay attention to the doors that you open for us, that we would seize the day, knowing that this day will be over as well as tomorrow. Eventually, the opportunity will cease to exist. Lord, you've given us an opportunity. I believe it with all my heart. You want to do something incredible through us here in this place, in this community. You want to empower us and equip us to do an incredible work that when, when it's all said and done, the only explanation will be that you performed a miracle, that it was the work of God. No other explanation. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to be busy doing your work and for you to get all the glory and all the honor. We're just grateful to be a part of it. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Show us where to go. Show us the directions that you would have us to take. Show us the doors that you are opening for us. And may we have the courage to walk through them. In Jesus' name, amen.